Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm sorry, 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want you to go to verse number 14. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 14. I want to ask that everybody get settled. I want to ask that nobody move, go in and out unless it's emergency, and I certainly understand that, but I want you to pay close attention and listen. Stand with me, if you will, as we read Scripture. I want you to mark your Bibles here. We're going to look at this, and we're going to look at another passage of Scripture here in just a few minutes, but I want you to notice as we read about Elijah, as he is coming not to the end, but toward the end of his ministry. Verse number 14, Elijah says, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Meholam, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. Now that's a lot of oxen. That's 24 oxen that he's plowing with, 12 yoke. That's the biggest John Deere tractor in all the Bible right there. Elisha is plowing uh, with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And I want you to look at verse number 12. Verse number 12. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 12, And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. Notice this phrase right here in verse number 13. He took up also the mantle. 
That's the title of the message this morning. He took up also the, Elijah, uh, uh, the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jericho. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word now as we come to this final message of the conference, and I pray your will be accomplished. I pray, Lord, that our minds would be uh, settled, and Lord, our hearts would be ready to receive the truth. Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would uh, touch and fill me uh, once again with your power as I preach your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 1 Kings chapter 19, the year is 858 B.C., 858 before Christ. Now, in, uh, in, in this time, of course, uh, the next year would be 857. The next year would be 856, and it would go down until we begin starting forward, and the year today is 2020. And so we have 858 B.C. Between uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2, there is a period of seven years. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, when Elisha picks up the mantle of Elijah, uh, the year is 851 B.C., so seven years have passed. The year is 858 B.C., and Elijah was coming toward the end of his ministry. Elijah had fought a good fight of faith. He had experienced a tremendous amount of success in his life and ministry for the Lord. But at this time, he comes to a place of discouragement. One of the reasons he is discouraged, he felt as there were none to continue the work of representing the Lord and representing truth and right. There was a time of discouragement where he said, I am the only one left sometimes in ministry after you've been in ministry for a while. And you look back, sometimes that's how you feel. You wonder, uh, where will the preachers of the next year, of the next generation come from? And as Elijah looked back, he said in discouragement, I'm the only one that is left. Of course, the Lord spoke to him and he said, Elijah, that is not true. There are 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Uh, there are 7,000 that have not given their allegiance to Baal. And I want you to do three things uh, in your ministry in these years. He said, first of all, I want you to go and anoint Haziel uh, to be the king uh, of Syria. I want you to anoint. Uh, I want you to anoint Jehu to be the king of Israel. And I want you to go find a fellow that is plowing in the field uh, by the name of Elisha, and I want you to anoint him to be your successor. And so God tells Elijah to help equip the future generation by anointing two kings and a prophet. This is very similar to what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul tells Timothy, "...and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses..." The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
It is worth noting that these three men are not extraordinary men, but they would be common men. They may not be men that Elijah would recognize as men of outstanding character or outstanding leadership quality, but God saw in them what they would be. May I say today, while others may see you as you are, God sees you as He desires you to be in His. His will. Uh, before me this morning are the preachers of the next generation, are the missionaries of the next generation, and it may even surprise you what God has in mind for you. That's why it's so important that you keep your life yielded and surrendered to the will of God. If you studied these three men, you wouldn't find a lot about them. Uh, Jehu a little bit more, but he was a captain uh, in the army. Haziel was a servant uh, to King uh, uh, Ben-Hadad and Elisha was a farmer. And uh, God said, I'm going to use these men. I'll use the swords of the first two as kings, and I'll use the words of Elisha to accomplish my will. I want you to understand something, folks. God is in control. We're on the winning side. So if we're on the winning side, we may, may as well get on the team and get, give it all we've got until Jesus comes. I'm glad, and that is a great encouragement to us to know that, that is true. True. It is interesting to note that without delay, Elijah does not discuss, he does not argue with God at all. He simply returns to his place of duty. Uh, some say it's as many as 100 or 150 miles uh, that he would have to return to the place where he saw Elisha uh, plowing in the field. And when he sees Elisha plowing in the field, Elijah goes to him to put his mantle on him. And so I don't know exactly what a mantle was like. I don't know if it was like a scarf or if it was like an outer garment uh, like this coat would be. I do know uh, that when uh, Elijah wore the mantle, they would say, that is uh, the man of God. It would sort of be like, uh, you know, you may be at a basketball game or even a football game and there'd be thousands of people. Uh, the folks that are identified as the officials or the referees, they're marked by the clothes that they wear. Most of the time, the black and white striped shirt. And you see, uh, those men are the referees. It doesn't matter what the coach's opinions are. It dead sure doesn't matter what our opinion is in the, fan, uh, 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 the fans that are in the stand. Uh, whatever that referee says is what they go by. If he blows the whistle and says it's a foul, there's not much you can do but add insult to injury by arguing with the referee. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. And uh, so uh, Elijah was marked uh, with wearing a, a mantle. I'm not exactly sure what it looked like, but it was an identification mark. Let me have you come up here, if you will, uh, Mr. Miller. And I want to show you what happened. Your first name is? Darren, I knew that, and I didn't know if you did or not. I thought you'd remember it. Uh, uh, Darren, uh, you're going to be Elisha, and Elisha is plowing in the field. Now, he doesn't know what Elijah is going to do, but Elijah comes to him, and he takes the mantle uh, that represents his responsibility as a man of God, and he places it, he places it on Elisha. 
Now, I don't know how much time uh, takes place in these verses, but you'll notice that several things happen in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah places that on Elisha. Uh, Notice, if you will, in verse number uh, 19. He departed thence and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was uh, uh, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and with the 12, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Now he leaves the oxen, the Bible says, and uh, he takes some of the oxen and he uh, uses them as a sacrifice. He uses the plow uh, as uh, wood for the altar to uh, cook or to prepare the food. He has a big meal. I don't know if it's a day, two days, three days a week. I don't know what it is, Uh, but this is what happens to him. And then Elisha, uh, the Bible says, uh, he follows Elijah. Now, he did not wear that mantle at this point, but there was something that very, uh, that very uh, definite happened in Elisha's life that day. He did not become the prophet that day. Elisha did not become the prophet, but he did feel uh, the burden of responsibility that fell upon him. Uh, He uh, had felt uh, something that he had never experienced before when uh, uh, he knew Elijah being the man of God uh, and uh, he knew that that burden had been placed upon him. I recall going to youth conferences and preaching conferences. My dad would take me to preaching conferences around the country. I remember one particular pastor school at First Baptist in Hammond, and I think I was probably 15 years old. And and I remember in that great crowd of people there, I sat just a young teenager and glad to be on the trip. And we always had a great time. I mean, you can put 10, 12 fellas in a motel room. Uh, we sort of we learned that from Mr. Darlin. But anyway, uh, we, we, we would go and I would have a great time at the conferences and I always enjoyed it. But something happened that year as uh, the men of God stood to preach. I remember the theme or the sermon being preached uh, that the mighty are fallen and somebody has to take their place. And as I sat there and I watched and I listened to those men of God, I listened to Dr. Howells preach. I listened to Lee Robertson preach. I listened to Tom Malone preach. For the first time in my life, I sort of, I felt a burden on my shoulders. I felt like maybe some of this would be my responsibility I don't know what God would have me to do, but I felt like the burden of responsibility had sort of been placed on me and there was an expectation for me to live my life to serve the Lord. When I turned 16 years of age and got my driver's license, I'll never forget going to get my driver's license. My dad took me. And he said, son, we better pray before we go. I'll never forget what my dad prayed. He prayed, dear Lord, you know, Jeff does not need his driver's license right now. And dad, I thought we were going to pray for me to pass here. He said, you know, he doesn't need his driver's license now. But Lord, if he'll be committed in his heart to do right 
and be obedient, do what I tell him to do, perhaps he can get his license today. That's sort of the way he prayed and talked to the Lord as if he knew him personally and he had something to do with uh, what was going on in my life. And I remember I barely passed my driver's test, but I got my driver's license. I remember I was driving vans and picking up people for church. And one Wednesday night after the service and taking people home from church, there was a, a burden that had continued from those conferences and that preaching like this that I felt like God wanted me to do something with my life. And I'll, I'll never forget as I pulled over beside that road, it was a gravel road as most roads were in our county in that day. And, and I got out of the van and I looked to the sky and the, and the, 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 the black sky was filled with stars and I said, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I don't know what you want me to do, but I don't care whatever you want me to do. That's what I want to do. The farthest, the most dedicated surrender I could think of was to be a missionary in Africa. I said, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary in Africa, I think the Lord said, you're doing well enough to speak English. I'll keep you right here. <laughs> but I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do. I got back in the van. I wept as I drove home, and I went in, and I told my dad, I said, Dad, I want to talk to you. We went into his bedroom, and I said, Dad, I gave my life to God completely tonight. I surrendered my life to him with all my heart. I want to serve the Lord. We talked for a while. My dad prayed with me. We prayed together. And I knew something had happened in my life. Elisha knew something that had happened special that day that Elijah put that mantle upon him. And so Elijah decided, or Elisha decided that he would become the servant of of Elisha. I'm sorry, Elisha would become the servant of Elijah. I'm glad you're listening better than I'm talking. And as I look at the scripture for the next seven years, we don't hear anything about Elisha. Now we read quite a few stories about Elijah. For seven years, he follows Elijah. Everywhere he goes, he pays attention to everything Elijah does. He serves him in every way that he can. Can you imagine as Elijah got up in the morning and he had a responsibility, maybe it was to meet with wicked King Ahab that day. And Elisha would help Elijah put the mantle on. And he felt the mantle as he would put it on the man of God and he would follow him. Perhaps he was there that day that he heard Elijah say, Ahab's going to be killed. Jezebel is going to be killed. And the dogs are going to eat her flesh and lick up her blood. The Bible doesn't say anything about Elisha other than that he was a servant of Elijah. That, that's, that's, that's all he did, and, and, and he followed 
Elijah. It reminds me of those days. It reminds me of those days that I was at Bible college and then my father called and he said, Son, I've been to the doctor today and the doctor says I have cancer. He was 38 years of age and I came home from Bible college to spend what the doctor said would be six months. My dad lived for 23 months and I watched him. I worked with him every day. I watched as he prayed. I watched him as he read the Word of God. I watched him as he took chemotherapy treatments and would be so sick. I remember coming down the stairs at night after my dad would have an episode of being sick in his stomach because of the treatment. My mother would change the bedclothes and help him to get comfortable again. And I don't know how many times my dad would say to me, Son, read to me Psalm number 34. And my dad would be laying there uncomfortable from pain or from the feelings of the treatment or the cancer that was working in his body. Son, read Psalm 34. I would stand by his bed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. My dad would say as I would read, that's good, isn't it, son? That's a blessing, isn't it? Yes, dad, it is. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Thank you, son. I remember when I took my dad from Hazard two hours away from there to here in Lexington, and he would come to the hospital for the last time. We fixed in the back seat of the car pillows that he could lay on to be as comfortable as could be. And I drove and my mom rode in the front seat. As we were making our last trip, what would be his last trip, my dad said, son, stop up here on Grapevine. And he told me the house, where to stop. And he said, go in there and tell and he gave the names of the people to come out and tell them I want to see them a minute. I knocked on the door and I said, my dad's in the car, he'd like to see you. They came out and my dad said, I want to thank you for teaching Sunday school. I want to thank you for being faithful to church. I'm probably not coming back anymore. It's probably my last trip to the hospital. I just want to say thank you and I love you. They left in tears. I got back in the car and I drove and my dad said, now stop, son, stop up here at the head of Grapevine and go in and tell them I want to see them. We'd made three or four stops like that and he would say to each one of them, thank you so much for working with me and serving with me here in the church. I just want to tell you bye. I want to tell you that I love you. I brought him to the hospital. He lived just a few days and
August 27, 1985, I watched him as he slipped out into eternity. I imagine Elisha as he watched Elijah wondering how long he would get to serve the man of God. He watched as Elijah prayed. He would pour Elijah's water. He watched how he responded to criticism or how he didn't respond and how he just kept silence. He watched how Elijah measured his behaviors. I think he watched the food he ate, his table manners, his kindness to servants. I think he listened to the correspondence between Elijah and others. I think he watched very closely as Elijah would do the work to deliver the word of God to various people in those last seven years. It's interesting that when they come to the time of Elijah departing, Elijah said to Elisha, now you can stay here because I'm going to go a little ways and you can just stay here. I appreciate your service and your help. Elisha said, no, 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 Elijah. I, I've, I've come this far with you. I'm, I'm going to go all the way with you. Three different times he told him. In fact, one time he said, he said, Elisha, I'm going to cross over Jordan here. And before I cross over the brook, I just want to tell you bye. And you won't need to go with me. And you can just, you can just stay here. And Elisha said, oh, no. He said, I'm going with you. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to stay here. I, I, I want to go with you. And he watched Elijah take the mantle with the water before him. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but somehow he took, he took the mantle and he cracked the water like that. Lo and behold, the water parted. And he and Elisha walked over on the other side. Elisha just made a decision. He can't get back. He can't get back unless he gets what Elijah had. Can I tell you, there are three parts to Elisha's life that makes it very, that, that's obvious and, and, and the points are very important. First of all, Elisha felt the burden when Elijah put the mantle on him. The second thing he did was he spent time serving and preparing for the day he would do what God would call him to do. Let, let me call your attention to this just a moment. Some come to Bible college and they think, well, I already know all of this. Have you ever read when Saul of Tarsus was saved on the Damascus Road and he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Let me ask you a question. What was Paul? What did, God, what, did God call, what did God use him to be? A missionary, right? A preacher. But when he said, what will thou have me to do? Did he say, I want you to be a mighty missionary and a preacher of the gospel? That's not what he said. He said, I want you to go learn. And he sat under the feet of a man that in many areas he may not have known as much as Saul knew himself. But there was a time of servitude. Can I tell you, God never used anybody, uses anybody in leadership that won't be a servant. 
I mean, I mean, if we're not going to set up tables and chairs and clean up, and if we're not going to do the work of a servant, we're never going to lead in the work that God would have us to do. For you see, a leader is the main servant. He's not the one served. He is the main servant. That's what my job is as the pastor of this church to serve my people. They're not here for me. I'm here for them to make sure they're fed spiritually, to make sure they're loved, to make sure their spiritual needs are met, to guide and direct them with the truths of the Word of God. And being a servant is what the ministry is all about. But then something very interesting to me happens. When we get to the other side, and the chariot and horses of fire appear, and Elijah starts to go up, Elijah does not take the mantle and put it on Elisha. The Bible says as the chariots took and the horses of fire took Elijah that the mantle fell to the ground. And Elijah, Elijah is gone. Elisha is standing here now. He knows what happened to him back over here in the field when he was plowing. And all of a sudden, here comes the man of God. He knew it was a man of God from a distance because he was wearing that mantle. And something very special happened in that preaching conference, in that youth conference. Something very special happened in that church service or in that time alone with God. And that burden of responsibility, that burden to realize maybe God would use me as a preacher, as a, as a layman leader, as a missionary and that burden was felt and he decided for these next few years I'm going to learn everything I can learn about the man of God and I want to learn everything I can from the man of God and those seven years are spent observing and working and, and, and serving the man of God but when we come to the other side and Elijah is now gone I preached Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week at the Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. It was a bit odd to me. It was a bit odd because my mind went back when I was just a young man and I went to hear the preachers at the bus and Sunday school conference. Brother Bobby Robertson led the service. Wally Beebe, Jack Howells, Bob Gray... They preached, and boy, I tell you, what a, what a joy it was. And now all of a sudden, when they take me to my room, I look, and there's a mausoleum. There's a grave, and it says, Bobby Robertson. Brother Bobby, faithful servant of the Lord, Gospelite Baptist Church, 63 years. I thought he'd always be here. It felt odd. He was gone. All of a sudden, Elijah is gone. Elisha is standing here. There's a brook between him and going back home. The mantle is laying there on the ground. You know what Elijah had to do? He had to make the decision. He was going to pick it up. Elisha may have said, no, wait a minute, Elijah, I don't think I'm ready yet. I, I, I think I need to learn one more year. 
I, I, I don't know that I'm ready yet. Wait a minute, Elijah. Don't, don't, don't leave yet. I'm not ready. There comes a time in your life that you have to make the decision. That you have to pick it up. Elisha picked up the mantle. He comes back to the brook. He comes back to the water. And he cries, where's the Lord God of Elijah? He smites the water. And all of a sudden, the water parts. Can I tell you something today? Stay right there. Can I tell you something today? I don't know where you are. You're in one of three places. I pray that everybody here today would feel the burden of responsibility and understand all of us should be soul winners. All of us ought to be involved in ministry, whether it's bus ministry, Sunday school, whether it's uh, working to help clean up or prepare for activities or events, whatever the case may be. I just want to do what I'm able to do. I want to learn whether it's to uh, play an instrument or sing in the choir or serve, whatever place. Uh, I pray that everybody would feel that sense of responsibility. 7.8 billion people in the world, the majority have never heard of Christ. They've never received Christ as Savior. And there is a responsibility. There's a reason that you are here in this conference right now. There are many places you could be, but you're here and you're hearing the messages as you heard about soul winning and surrender and serving God. And there's a need out there. And for some reason, you're hearing that and you make a decision. Am I going to carry that or am I going to ignore that? Some of you are in that training period that's seven years and I don't know how long it will be in your life and there's different numbers uh, Moses was on the backside of the desert 40 years that's an encouragement to some of you in college now your seventh year uh, but he was there 40 years and 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 he was preparing before the time came and some of you may be in that preparing time and you may be a junior and you say boy it's so hard and I don't think I'll ever get finished I want to say to you don't quit now don't stop now. Keep learning. Keep observing. Keep practicing again and again and again. Teach that lesson again on the bus route. Can I tell you something you need to learn to teach the first grade boys and teach the third grade girls and learn to love them as they are and reach them and make a difference in their life with the gospel. You are in the ministry. You are doing a work for God. But as you work and you learn and prepare, Perhaps you're over here. Maybe you're a counselor. You just brought teenagers to be preached to. There was a man of God in your town one day, but he's in heaven now. And that church building is empty or nearly empty. Someone has got to make the decision to pick up that mantle. You, you'll never come to the place you say, okay, I'm ready. Get out of my way. You'll never have the time that you have all the confidence, and perhaps if you do, you're probably not ready. Because there has to be a dependence on God. Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? But he picked up that mantle and God used him in a marvelous and a tremendous way. I don't know where you are today, but I want you to recognize whether it's a time of, of understanding the burden of responsibility or the time of preparation or the time of picking up the mantle, wherever it may be, I want to say to you today, 
Today's the day to surrender to the will of God. On this day, he had to decide, I'm going to burn my plans and I'm going to follow God's plans. Is somebody here today like William Davis who had an opportunity to get a scholarship to become an engineer? And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with being an engineer, no sin in that. We have engineers in our church. But for him, God called him to preach. And when God called him to preach, he had to burn his desires and say, I'm going to become a servant of God. Wherever it is, whether it's this place of surrender, whether it's the place of training of surrender, and some of you need to decide, I am going to go to Bible college. I am going to prepare for ministry. I am going to learn what I can to be the best equipped I can be to serve and make a difference for Christ in a town or in a city or a mission field someplace. And some of you may be here today, and it's at the place that you need to pick up the mantle and say, it's time, it's time for me to serve in that capacity as a pastor or missionary or whatever the case may be. I'm saying today wherever you are the answer is the same. Surrender to the will of God. Will you stand with me this morning standing with heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll be here at this place in this situation today only. Don't in six months look back to this day in hindsight and say, I wish I would have surrendered my life to Christ. On my desk today is a letter from a prisoner, from an inmate. They come every day. They come every week. Most of them in hindsight say, I wish I wouldn't have done this. I wish I would have done that. Today the opportunity of surrender is before us. What does God want you to do in the matter of surrender today?